Hello, you dirty salamanders. Are there clean salamanders? Um, I'm pretty sure they're domestic. Old if they just domestic got animals. out of the water, because they're water dwelling, right? So if they're dirty, they just slithered out of the slimy mud. Ugh. Water's pretty. The water's probably. That's everyone that's listening. You guys are slithering out of the mud. Wow. I used to catch salamanders as a kid. Yeah. Uh huh. That's nice. You look like yeah, you used to catch salamanders as a kid. No. 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 You just pick them and then what? I would catch them and then I'd Kill keep them? them for a couple of days and then my dad would make me let them go. Now let me ask you. So you used to do that kind of thing. What if right now there was like a lizard Absolutely in the house? Not, not touch Right? No. So that happened at our, our new yeah. warehouse the other day. There was lizards running all around and I was not one of those kids who touched the lizards. So I called, you know, one of our weird kids that was around and I'm like, you definitely used to catch lizards, right? They're like, yeah. I'm like, catch it. He's like, no. So what changes? <laughs> yeah. What weird. changes, huh? I don't know. Well, I think you're more aware of the risks. Like lizards and salamanders carry a ton of disease. <laughs> I used to bury Do they really though? Yeah. yeah. Lizards carry well, disease? Well, that's not yes. why you're scared. You're scared to yes. get bit or something. I used to barehand grab snakes oh. up at my cottage. We'd go up there and I'd literally see snakes just, yeah. I didn't know if it was poisonous. No, I, but, but that's what I'm saying. It's a risk thing. Like yeah. you're, you're, now you understand you're not that that's aware. not smart. Sure. Yeah, you're not yeah. aware of it. Well, I, was, I guess I was ahead of the game because as a kid, I was terrified of that <laughs> shit. I knew the risk. I didn't do it. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, okay, well, welcome to another episode of Hybrid Unlimited. This is Steffi Kahn. Hayden Bo. Alex Eastlark. And this is episode, I have no idea because we've lost track because of how many we've been pumping we're out. pumping it twice a week. Bins. You know what I mean? I don't even know what day it is. Don't I don't know what episode we're on. Exactly. So today we have Sebastian Oreb, aka Australian Strength Coach on the podcast. And, uh, you know, this is this is a juicy podcast. Uh, Bass can talk. And so we got caught up in, in uh, discussing some aspects of strength training, his ways of programming, uh, what does training the world's strongest man entail and what was his preparation leading to his 501 kilogram deadlift that he performed? I think it was last week. Was it last week? Yeah. Yeah. That was. he performed last week. Uh, and then finally, we talk about the, the juicy la, stuff. La hora del té. We, we, we dive, yeah, we dive straight into the, the tea time and, uh, talk about the upcoming boxing match between Eddie Hall and Thor, half Thor Johnson. But more than anything, you know, the, the world's wanted to know, we've wanted to know why and when they started hating each other. Exactly. That's the, you guys question. keep listening. Cause you're going to find out why, where did this come from? Where did this beef come from it's that's a, the most important quite question story. it's quite a story it is it is so interesting it's towards the end of the podcast uh but you know also is this the end of strongman for thor maybe you'll find out mm. is he gonna retire yeah is that fight just in for another year and a half yeah, he's, he's dedicated the whole year to that okay but one thing is for certain and that is that we're going to vegas that's it baby you hate vegas but i'm in I'm going sure. to vegas. i hate it too but it's been so long since i've gone that it'll be fun again Honestly, and if it's, you know, if it's the three caballeros, yeah. <laughs> to be honest with you, I've, I've been craving craziness and fun since this whole quarantine thing happened. Jesus Christ, you're going to have to wait another 18 months for it. <laughs> well, maybe we'll do maybe a we'll see, we'll see it. We'll do a UFC fight warm up in Vegas. Yeah, we have to do That'd that. That'd be fun. That'd yeah, be I'm fun. in for that. So anyway, this, I, I love this episode. This was phenomenal. One of my favorites. Yeah, excellent podcast. So uh, I hope you guys enjoyed as much as we did. Oh, as you always, can't be forgetting. No, this episode is sponsored by Go Strong Equipment. You can customize all of your pieces of equipment. You can order how, whatever you want, however you dream about it. They're amazing. They're great people and really easy to work with. Have and they just awesome came out customer service. They just came out with the Fuselar. The Fuselar, baby. Did What's you, that all did about? Did you engineer that? 
So it was, it, was a ra- it was a random sun- Sunday, just there working, doing some things around the house. Your Sunday? Huh? Sunday? Oh yeah, you know, you know Friday, what time Sunday. it is, girl. Yeah. You know what time it is. <laughs> yeah. And I just think to myself, I'm like, I have this incline adjustable bench coming from Ghost. I have this combo rack coming from Ghost. We got some sick benches. Why can't they both just be in one? Why hasn't someone done that? Why, you know what I mean? Like, I just text Tim and I'm like, Tim, why hasn't someone done this? He's like, that sounds pretty crazy. Sounds genius. About four or five hours later, he's like, by golly, George, I didn't know if it was possible, but here's the schematics. He showed me his little things on the computer and he made it happen. Well, here go. we are just about another... six months later. Prototypes out. We'll talk about that, Tim. Damn, you should have, yeah. uh, you, sh- you needed to give him a, uh, what's it called? Damn, a bonus. An, an NDA. An NDA, yeah. Before yeah. you disclose that. But, uh, anyway, I'm happy to see them crushing it. And yeah. not only do we use it, so, I mean, you guys oh, are yeah. like, oh, you know, Steffi Cohen, Alex, you saw it, well, they use it. Oh, they're just saying it. If you guys watched Thor's 501 kilo deadlift, hanging out right behind him is a Ghost Strong model lift. Oh, yeah, right right in the front of the, the screen half uh-huh. the time. So, strong, world's strongest man uses the world's strongest model. You know it's good. Look, here's the thing. I mean, why do you buy certain things? You buy certain things because of what that says about you, right? So, if you want to be a type of person that knows what they're doing in the gym, if you don't have a Ghost piece of equipment, you... You're, you're a dork. You, you, you're not... You're a dork. You're a dork. Yeah. So, it's like, don't don't come up to me and tell me about how you, your Samsung has all these funky phone features. I don't care. They're not cool. Exactly. All right? exactly. Give me the thing that's cool. It's iPhone. That's what you, they're all about. You go, into the gym huh? you go into the gym, you're not wearing a piece of hybrid apparel. Dork. Who are you? Loser. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Understand me? But the fuselage is just another testament to them about how they will literally make Any whatever your brain can can mm-hmm. think up. So check them out. They're at Go Strong Equipment on Instagram. They're at GoStrongEquipment.com on the interwebs. And and uh, shop hybrid apparel because seriously, our designs has have been fuego straight up fuego. If you guys go right now, there's literally nothing online. Zero sold out. out, sold out. We're my working babies. triple overtime with this freaking quarantine, and still gone. But soon more. So hybrid yeah. apparel. Yep. Okay. Well, sit back, enjoy this podcast. Uh, it's it's Laura del Tema, my baby. So enjoy. Hello, Bass. Hey, Steffi. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Pretty good, pretty good. Uh, welcome to... Nice to see you. Likewise. I wish that we that I could see you in person. For sure. Yeah. You're a return guest, huh? This is our second return second guest. Second return guest. Wow. Should have been the first, but it's all right. What a, what, a, what a privilege. Thank you, guys. <laughs> yeah, you and Chris Duffin. So Yeah, uh, I, I heard those episodes as well. That was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, he's a super interesting guy. Not as interesting as you, Keep but... Going. I mean, okay. you add you add interest with the accent. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Well, I'll take that as a compliment. It could be uh, taken in many ways, but I'll take it as a compliment. If I had to choose between Australian and uh, a UK or British accent, definitely choose yours. Yeah, I think it depends on the on the. Well, I like Australian accents, but I think the UK accent really depends on where you're from because some of them sound sophisticated and some of them sound horrible. <laughs> That could be said about Australians as well. There's a lot of different uh, types of accents True. of Australians that are that are. I'll, I'll send you some so you understand what I mean. But but uh, there's there's all sorts of Australian accents. Hopefully, mine's not so bad. No, <laughs> it's classy. Yeah, you you don't have a bogan yeah. accent. Yeah, so no, that's right. The bogan's what you don't want. <laughs> exactly. Basso, what have you been up to lately with this whole quarantine? 
Um, it's been interesting because um, I'm pretty lucky that I've got my own gym space, kind of like you guys. So uh, if I didn't have that, I would probably be uh, pissing and moaning that I, uh, you know, losing gains and you know things that a lot of people are talking about. But but actually, this is the first time in a very long time that I've been able to stay in one place without being interrupted with um, travel, either you know uh, within Australia or even internationally. Um, and and actually just keep lifting weights, which is what I've wanted to do for so many years. And I always say, damn, if I didn't have to go here, I, I know that I'll be able to improve with my strength. Um, you know, I'm a powerlifter, um, but that's my second priority in life. My first priority is obviously uh, family, and then and then business. Um, and you know, I, I value myself as a coach more than I do as an athlete. Uh, but this time, uh, co- coaching can take a back seat because. I'm not allowed to travel anywhere, and now I've just been training every day. Um, I've got my wife, I've got my daughter, uh, and I've got my family that are close by. So, so actually, um, I'd say that I'm having a pretty good time right now. That's awesome. Bass, that's one of the things that I love the most about you is how passionate you are about coaching. You know, there's a lot of people who talk about it, but are not about it. And I had the privilege of working with you for, for a period of time and I could really feel that you cared, you know, and, and that is such an important part of coaching, you know, because a lot of people get so stuck on the minutia of periodization or whatever other like nerdy term they want to learn about, but they Everyone forget to get coached by nerds. Yeah. But, but they forget, <laughs> like, in my opinion, the most important part of a coach is actually be a coach, you know, caring. Mm-hmm. And it's, a lot of it's a psychological aspect. Yeah. Anyone can put numbers in a spreadsheet, but how you can connect with people on an intimate level and, you know, keep them engaged and keep them trusting you. That's, that's everything. Yeah. That's everything. For sure. And something um, that I've been talking about a lot, it's actually fresh in my mind. That's why I'm bringing it up now. Um, I, I owe a lot of that to, to Ernie Lillybridge Sr. That's someone in 2014 that I got to meet. And I watched him, how he coached his son, Eric. And, you know, obviously it's a father-son relationship and you don't get a better love than that. And when I watched the way that he was coaching Eric, I, I didn't look at it as if it was his son. I looked at it as though it's his athlete. And I saw the amount of care that he put in uh, Eric for his competitions and for his training. And I thought, you know, you can treat all of your athletes that way. And, and I'm certain that I took a lot of notes from, from Ernie. He was definitely one of my, my mentors. And, uh, you know, you're not the first to say that, that you see the way that I am with people and how I'm passionate. And I owe a lot of that to him. But I, I've also uh, gone down that path of seeing a lot of academics as coaches and they have their clipboards out and, and there's a, a large part of their coaching that they're missing out. And that is the person-to-person interaction which is, I guess, more the art of coaching rather than the science. And it's a, I'd say it's 50% of it or even more. It's also, it's not just art though. It's also just, it's personality wise, you know, not everyone can be a personable person. And so that's okay. You know, you're just better off being a nerd in the lab. You know what I mean? Absolutely. (laughs) There's there's something for everyone. And, uh, you know, there's definitely a place for nerds in labs. Uh, you know, I always say nerds make the world go round, but right. but that's right. With coaching, it's it's a face to face job, and uh, and that's right. You need to be personable. So, talking about your training a bit before we get into into other topics, are you training for any particular competition? Yeah, well, I know that you you pretty much normally you train for one competition per year, which is Pro Raw, right? Oh, was canceled, and then that was canceled because of, well, the whole Australian Arnold and. Pro included was canceled because of COVID nineteen. So what what yeah. what has that done for your prep? Are you prepping for something else? Did, and also on top of that, piggybacking on that, did you have specific goals that you had set for the pro raw that now are kind of getting pushed back? 
Yes and no. I, I won't say they've been pushed back. So I was meant to compete two weeks after I saw you guys. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I was on track to improving my total. My best total is 940 kilograms, which is also something in pounds. And <laughs> I was uh, hoping to achieve, yeah. I, I was on track to achieve at least 20 kilograms more than that on my total, which is a small improvement. It's a nice um, improvement but, though. Oh, that's a, it's a oh, over 2,000 pound total. Dude, yeah, oh, you so, should know that. Uh, it's a big milestone. You know, I, I was definitely stronger than ever. And uh, this competition was canceled for, for COVID. And the reason why I'm saying I'm not taking a step back is because um, I also received an invite from the same, um, the owner of the competition. So it's Pro Raw, that's Emad and Marcus. They created another event called Big Dogs, which mm -hmm. um, a lot of powerlifters know a lot about. But that's an invite only uh, competition where it's the heavy, it, there's actually no weigh in. Um, so there's, there's, uh, the invites go to the people in the round, in the world with the biggest totals, and uh, so that was a very popular super heavyweight competition. And last year they extended that to uh, a female class. I believe it was under seventy five kilograms, and that was called Wildcats, and that was hugely successful. So this year was the first year they thought they'd create another uh, weight class, which was uh, uh, the middleweight weight class. They called that the Warriors. So that's a one hundred and fifteen kilogram weight class. Uh, which meant, Middle. and I, I got an invite to that, and uh, it also meant that I get to be five kilograms heavier, which would be definitely an advantage for me to, for getting an even bigger total. So so right now, um, I don't even know if that's going to be on. That was set to be on uh, October 31, but there's so much uncertainty with international travel. So a lot of Australians could still be invited, but it's not going to be much of a show without the international guests uh, you know, the international athletes are the best guys in the world. So so that's kind of – that was the whole pu purpose of the show. So I don't even know if uh, Big Dogs or Warriors is going to be on this year. Um, regardless, I have spoken to the, the owner of the federation, that's EMAD, and he's told me that he's still going to do uh, some type of event in Australia probably in November, and that's going to be the same weight class, 115-kilogram uh, weight class. So I, I believe – uh, that I'm capable of a lot more than what I achieved in my last competition. And my goal is uh, it's the magic 1,000 kilogram total. That number's, uh, you know, that's not many people in the world can do that. And I think I'm getting to a point in my life where I'm 38 years old. I don't know how many more years I want to be doing it, not because I don't think I'm capable of, of getting stronger. I know that I am, but getting stronger at that level takes up a lot of time. Um, as I said now with, with COVID-19, we have a lot of time on our hands, uh, so it's okay. But after it finishes, uh, everyone goes back to life. I've got a daughter, I've got a wife, I've got a business, and I've got a lot of people that rely on me. And it's a little bit selfish sometimes when you're focusing on being as strong as you can be. You need to be selfish. And I'm not sure how many more years I can be that selfish for. So I'd love to say, you know, 115-kilogram weight class, 1,000-kilogram total, and then Hopefully that's that's it for a while. Nice, nice. That's a nice, uh, nice number to go out on. Yeah, for sure. You got those guys that tell you, you know, when I was your age, I was benching three plates. <laughs> you know, I'll be able to have a story. Of or they say they I'm were benching seven hundred pounds when they were our age, and you're like, really, yeah. really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh man, um, just to switch gears. So to go back to the coach thing. Your boy Thor just did the 501 deadlift world record. I'm sure you're super proud of him. There was, you know, all oh, that. Man. I'm so proud. It's an amazing achievement. Um, I knew he was able to do it, uh, but when it actually happened, uh, to be honest with you, I was super nervous. As the weight was coming up, it felt like 
for me that it just took uh, a lot longer than what it actually took. When you watch it back on replay, uh, it's, it was a really, really good lift mm-hmm. uh, for 5x1, but I was watching it just going, no, there was a sticky point, and it was, uh, it's like, eh, no, keep going. It was a really nerve-wracking time for me, but then it came up, and, and um, man, I haven't really been able to sleep uh, properly since. Like that night, I was just up all night. Uh, my phone was going crazy. I can't imagine what his phone must be. He's the one that actually did it. But there's, it's, it's really flattering. There's a lot of support uh, coming from a lot of people on social media, uh, you know, congratulating me as well. Absolutely the, the person who deserves all of the accolades is Hafthor. But, yeah, it's really flattering that I've, I've um, you know, been included in this success. And, uh, hell, yeah, I'm so proud of it. What, um, what's the preparation? What, what was his preparation like? And yeah, how how and how different was it? it training just to go for this deadlift versus him training for a, like a well-rounded, complete competition like the Arnold or World's Strongest Man? Yeah, so um, if we consider the Arnold's was uh, um, March about eight. seven weeks ago, right? Seven eight weeks ago. Yeah, so I think it was seven. Yeah, seven weeks before the event, or six weeks before. So he had six or seven weeks to prep for this. Um, so it, it was definitely different in that uh, we were able to push the deadlift a little bit harder because we didn't have to factor in recovery from all of the other events. When he competed in the Arnold's, there's uh, six events that he needs to be peaking for and they're of equal importance. So he can't neglect any of them. So he, while he's trying to – actually for the Arnold's, there was a goal um, and an incentive of $101,000 to achieve a 501-kilogram deadlift at that event. Um, but if anyone uh, watched and understood the way that the Arnold's went, the deadlift was on the second day, which right. meant he needed to compete at the highest level for a whole day, which is three huge events. And, you know, to put it into perspective, any powerlifters out there that perform three lifts on one day, the next day, um, you know, especially me, I'm beaten up so badly, I wouldn't be able to attempt a max deadlift, let alone 501 kilograms. Sure. Um, so, so he came to terms with the fact that it's most likely not going to happen at the Arnold's. So uh, although we trained really well, he achieved a 480-kilogram deadlift in, uh, in preparation for the Arnold's without a suit. So there's a few differences with the way they deadlifted the Arnold's compared to the way that he achieved that world record. And that's something else that was really annoying about the Arnold's is it was going to be done on a on an elephant bar, so automatically the whole world would have discredited the lift if he achieved the 501 kilograms. They would Are have said it's in- not the same. It's not comparing apples with apples. It's an elephant bar world record, not a deadlift bar world record. So it's like you're putting in so much effort to to, to win a title sure. uh, just to, to be discredited like that. So um, halfway through his prep for the Arnold's, he was given an invite from world's ultimate strongman to compete in Bahrain and they they let us know that the first event was going to be the deadlift world championships which is going to be his opportunity to take that uh, world record once and for all and we knew that that was the opportunity to do it so we continued training for the Arnold's where we we definitely worked hard for the deadlift but we had to factor in all of the other events so so once the Arnold's was finished and um, there's a, there's a lot of backstory whether people agree with it or not, but he was given um, he received a phone call from World's Ultimate Strongman saying that uh, the World's Ultimate Strongman show in Bahrain has been postponed uh, because of the situation, but we're going to allow certain lifters uh, to achieve these world records in their own country. We're going to set up an event where it's going to be live streamed. We're going to have official judges. We're going to have uh, a live weigh-in of all of the calibrated weights. 
to make sure that it's a legitimate lift uh, and we're going to pay you X amount of dollars. I don't know exactly uh, what that amount was, but I know in Bahrain it was $100,000. And the funny thing is, um, if anyone said that to me and I was able to achieve uh, that number, the answer would be absolutely yes. And a lot of people are discrediting it, giving their opinion, saying, no, he shouldn't do that. It doesn't count because it's, it's well, his think- home gym. It's very different to a home gym lift. It was... Yeah. Um, it's the first time ever that any of these strongman world records have actually weighed the plates. And he had a, a judge that was is considered, so his name's Magnus the Magnuson. He's considered um, the highest re, the highest respected strongman judge in strongman sports. And I'll be completely honest with you, although he's Icelandic, I don't think he likes Thor that much. He doesn't hate him. But if you watch the way that he judges him at many of the events, he, he never favours him. Maybe it's because he doesn't want to look like uh, he's got a bias sure. towards him because of the whole Iceland thing. But he's obviously very professional with his job. And that's how he was with the judging of this 501 kilogram deadlift. So back to the question that you asked, how was the preparation um, for the deadlift? It was a very short preparation if you're considering um, how long he trained for that specific event. He was already strong in preparation for the Arnold. So what we needed to do in that six weeks was teach his body how to get used to the deadlift suit. So it's, uh, it, it can assist the deadlift, but it is a technique that needs to be learned. And he essentially had four sessions to practice with the deadlift suit before the competition. And session one, we did 320 kilograms for a triple. That's a really, really that's a deload for half Thor. Um, and that was really easy, but that was uh, just the first session back into the suit just to get used to it. The next session, this is the interesting thing, and Steffi and Hayden, we've, we've discussed this before, where the algorithms change and there is no specific algorithm. Mm-hmm. Once you've found something that works, uh, it needs to change the next time because firstly, the body adapts, and secondly, uh, the body's gotten stronger. So what, what used to work may not work the next time. Right. So, so this time we had um, a set plan and I, I'd written his program out and I didn't tell him what the numbers were because I looked at the numbers that I'd written on this page and it just looked unbelievable to me. It was something that no one's ever done. The first deadlift session, the first heavy session was 440 kilogram deadlift for three reps. And I was looking at that going like, I've just written something down that's impossible. How the hell do I expect this guy to do it? Like, I was really nervous about, usually I, I send in the program and I pick up the phone and I talk him through it. This time I didn't know how to say anything to him. I just sent it and I'm just like. How did, how did you come to that 440 for three? Is that you just well, calculate what he probably needs to do to hit that 501? Yeah, there's no percentages that we're working with here. It's based on what he has done before and it's based on what level of strength that I know he's at. I always had a plan. So when we, we, we knew how many weeks he had till, uh, till the competition, till the 501 deadlift, we planned it so that every second week he was to perform a heavy deadlift. And uh, after it was all figured out, we, we calculated that we'd be able to do um, a heavy triple. So the, the light triple, which was 320 for, for three, that was his deload. One heavy uh, triple. Uh, and then one one last session. Sometimes we do a heavy double. So so, and then the heavy single was going to be the five hundred one kilograms. Uh, but in this instance, it was like you know what? Now this is where the rules are changing. What's a heavy double going to be for this guy? The last time he did a heavy double, he did a thousand pounds, which was uh, four hundred and fifty five kilograms. It's just over a thousand pounds. So that's his best ever, and we're continually trying to push him forward. 
And it's like, what am I going to get him to do? Two weeks out, beat a thousand pounds for two. What's he going to go to? 460 kilograms for a double. How much recovery is that going to need? Um, and anyway, so it's just, it's a lot of discussion back and forth with it. And we decided on 440 kilograms. He said 440 for two. Um, and then when I was sitting home thinking about it, I was looking at what he's done and what's going to not only, you know, you know, uh, add up mathematically with percentages, um, I, I factor in training morale as a, as a really high priority and uh, in, in someone's progression in the gym. And I know what makes him feel good is being able to achieve something that he's never done before, mm -hmm. to give him the confidence to do something that he's never done before. Mm -hmm. um, so 440, he's, he's done, he wanted to do, the original plan was to do a double on 440 and then do a 460 for a single. And in my opinion, it's like none of this training is giving him much confidence that he's he's done this before and and therefore it's going to allow him to do the 501 kilograms. So so that was something that I factored in. I need him to slightly beat what he's done before to give him the confidence to continue to move forward. So I wrote down after we actually discussed 440 kilograms for a double, I, I that's what I mean when I said I changed it on paper and I sent it to him and I didn't call him, I didn't tell him. And he wrote back to me saying 440 for three, that was the text, 440 for three, question mark. And I had no explanation for him. It's like, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that's the number you have to do, man. And he said, let's do it. Mm -hmm. wow. And, man, I just get goosebumps. It's like what type of person you're, you're setting them a task that you, you believe is somewhat impossible and the confidence of this man to just say, no problem. It was just checking that <laughs> I didn't write uh, the wrong number in because we'd agreed on a different number. Uh, and then he went and did it with ease. Um, and the reason why he did it with ease was because this is the first time we've ever – prioritize the deadlift and uh, not have to worry about pushing all of the other numbers. So usually we've got something like a heavy frame or a heavy yoke or a heavy uh, log press, which loads the same structures as a deadlift. And it definitely needs to be factored in with recovery. You can't just train heavy every week with all of these events. The body will just break. So this time, uh, everything that we were doing was very much 20% less intensity on all of the other movements. So we still trained four days per week. And we still trained other major movements like squats and presses, very simple movements, not really strongman exercises because they're very demanding. So we still had a squat day where he did, you know, relatively light squats. I think we got him up to a 270 kilo, or a 600 pounds for uh, a few sets of two. So nothing, it's, it's uh, a decent weight, but for half thought, that's nothing. Uh, that's, that's a walk in the park. This is all deload sessions. Um, and then uh, the last two weeks was literally nothing. The last week was, was a complete deload. His last heavy session was 470 kilograms for a single. Of course, that video went viral because of how easy he did it. Mm -hmm. um, and then on competition day, he did what he had to do, 501. Now, when you said he started with that 440 for three and you said he had a heavy deadlift every other week, so that week yeah. in between, did he still deadlift and it was just a deload style or he only deadlifted every 14 days? Yeah, he deadlifted seven, every seven days and it was a heavy session, light session. So, sure. um, you know, I'm huge on, on skill and, uh, you know, continuing the movement and uh, a huge part of the training isn't just about let's do, you know, 50% of max or any of these things. The numbers were like, it, it's like the percentages that I would normally use, I, I used a lot less for Hathor because, I, you know, percentages that I like using is roughly 75% of, of what they did the previous week. 
Um, I find that to be a really nice deload, but a weight that's respectable and a weight that the, the athlete can continue to progress on. But for Hathor, 75% is a huge number and needs a little bit more recovery. So we were working around, you know, the 60% mark on the other weeks. And a large part of the training is familiarizing himself with not only the deadlift suit. So he had to do really lightweight with the deadlift suit, the same uh, equipment that hey, he's going to be Can I jump in real quick, Bass? I wanted to ask yeah. you this. Uh, I actually wrote it down because I, I, very few people actually compete equipped anymore. Uh, you know, outside yeah. of strongman. Um, yeah. So, just for our listeners, how exactly does the deadlift deadlift suit help you? So, if you think of um, a deadlift suit like a knee wrap, a uh, knee wrap covers one joint and it stops that joint from being able to bend. Um, so that's for the knees. Now, the the joint that the deadlift suit covers, apart from all of the vertebra is the hip joint. That's the major joint that it's basically stopping from being able to bend. So when you do bend it, um, all it wants to do is spring back up. And um, the strength of these suits, it's not just as easy as, oh, but he used a suit so I could put that on and get, you know, 100 pounds or 50 kilograms or whatever weight it is because it takes you out of position if you're not strong enough to use it or if you're not skilled enough to use it. Mm -hmm. So that's probably the easiest way to explain it. It stops the hips from being able to bend, um, but obviously he, he does have to force his body down into that bend position and um, it helps spring him back up. But what the lifter needs to do is have the skill and the strength to be able to maintain position throughout the entire movement. Otherwise, you get nothing out of the deadlift suit. Yeah, um, I, I can attest to, to that. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. Um, what I was going to say, the suit that Thor uses is actually, um, it's a really entry-level suit. It's an Inza hardcore suit, which is single ply. And um, compared to what a lot of the other lifters use, they like to use double ply suits, which is a lot more aggressive. Uh, if you know how to use them better and you, you understand how to stay tight in that bottom position, it can spring you up a lot, a lot easier. But with half Thor um, and with everyone, I think the recommendation should be that Position comes first when it comes to lifting heavy weights. Don't let anything interfere with being able to perform the correct technique. So if there's a he's tried really thick suits and really strong suits that, that potentially give more carryover, but it puts him out of position, so he lifts less weights. Um, so so his deadlift suit, it's 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 hard to say how many kilograms it actually gives him. Uh, we know in training he's lifted 480 kilograms without a suit. So it's hard to say. I, I, I can't give you a number of, of how much it actually helped him, but I don't think it actually helped him that much. Yeah, I can I can attest to that. When I first tried a bench suit for the first time, I was thinking that I was going to get on the suit and, and bench 315. That was literally yeah. my expectation. And I yeah. put it on and, and I think, what you was benched it? Less. You benched I less. Benched yeah. less. You benched less. Yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> so yeah, there, there's a huge learning curve when it comes to lifting equipped. Absolutely. Even with just wraps, there's a learning curve too. I mean, for a long time, when I whenever I tried to use wraps, I, w I squatted less. Yeah. I do want to say, Bass, that, you know, when you were saying that you, you chose the 440 for three, not only, not based on only percentages, but based on morale, what's going to, what's going to motivate him, what's going to get him fired up to go train. I think that is so important. And what, that was one of the things that I love the most about working with you was that you're not just following this template of this week, we're going to do 70% and next week, 73 and next week, 75, because first of all, progress is never linear. And to expect that you're going to be able to do more and more every week is setting yourself up for failure. Cause sometimes you're not going to be able to do that 
And equally, sometimes you're going to be able to do way more than whatever this arbitrary percentage is. So I think that he, if, if he trusts you, which obviously he does wholeheartedly, and you wrote that down on a piece of paper, the reason why he, he didn't even doubt for a second if he could do it or not was because you believed in him before he did. And even though obviously you had your doubts and you were nervous for him, you never said that, right? Like you just wrote that down and we're like, yeah, that's, that's what you need to do. Well, and I think that was very clear in the attempt sheet that you wrote up for him too. I love that part of the bottom where it said plan B, fuck plan B. Mm-hmm. You know? I love that. That's I think, amazing. I think that's, it's, it's awesome. You know, cause so many of these lifters you see now, you, their coaches are writing on plan A, B, C, D. Yeah, seriously. Elemento, P, you know, it's like, it, just go in and do, you should be prepared to do what you can do. And if you can't, you know, figure it out, you've got a coach, you've got whatever. But I just love that. It was so all in. And I think it's a huge thing to have your coach, like to really feel like your coach is confident that you're going to do something because there's nothing worse than I used to have a coach in weightlifting and I'd go out for my opening attempt and he'd literally be like, don't fuck it up. (laughs) You know, and there's nothing worse than that. I want you to, I want to know that you're, that you know that I'm going to do well and that you expect me to do well. And I think that that's that's really cool. Also a huge pet peeve of mine, because I've been coached by a lot of people is when they go, what do you want to so how did that feel what do you want to do next mm. like no man tell me what i need to do and just know that i'm gonna do it you know like have mm-hmm. some faith in first your coaching ability and second my abilities as an athlete when i was training plan. In, yeah when i was plan. training in uh, olympic weightlifting my coach camilo when we would go to a competition he would literally open me one kilo below my my best snatch and i'd be like camilo are you are you crazy that's one kilo below my best snatch and he's like yeah and you're going up after that <laughs> you know, just like when you say, you when, huh? And would you do it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good. When you, obviously, I'm sure I messed up some at some point, but. You know, it's 100%. But yeah. It's, it it's a double-edged sword. This, um, uh, the confidence that the coach has in the athlete, it goes a long way. And sometimes um, there, there can be doubt. Um, you know, I, I just want to correct you with this. Uh, I, I didn't doubt that he could do the 440. I was just extremely nervous because it hasn't been done before. Mm-hmm. And not only has it not been done before, there's a fine line between, um, you know, doing the right numbers and then it's like, okay, because it hasn't been done before, what's the risk of injury going to be on, on lifting a weight this aggressive? How much time am I going to need to recover from this? And I don't, I don't even have time. We've got four weeks to go mm-hmm. and we're pushing numbers like this. Uh, but there's so many factors. But I, I always believe in Hafthor. Um, I've I've been working with him since 2016, and we've done a lot of um, trial and error and and uh, back and forth with different uh, techniques of, of votes of confidence. For example, um, exactly what you just said, where the coach will just say, "So how did that feel? What do you think you want to do next?" Mm-hmm. Um, it, the the thing is, it comes with experience. Some athletes like Hafthor is it's. Again, it's extremely flattering that Hafthor is the type of guy that puts 100% faith in me. He comes to me and will be. sometimes I will ask him, so how do you feel? What's uh, what's your plan for today? And his answer is, you're the coach. You need to have this. I just do what you say. And it's like, damn straight, man. This is the relationship that I love having with Hafthor. Um, but it's sometimes to have someone that's that strong to put that much faith in you, um, we're, we're in uncharted territories and I still like when I come up with numbers like that, it's, it's, um, it's really nerve wracking experience, but yeah, if, uh, on the flip side of that, if a lifter comes to me and says, I want to go for this number and I don't believe in it, 
sometimes I have to shut my mouth and act like I do have the confidence because sometimes it's the confidence that that lifter has that will take them there. And mm-hmm. I'll give you an example of that. Uh, in 2018, Hafthor did a powerlifting show and that was his first show. I won't say ever. He did one nine years before that, like as a complete amateur. But as a pro, that was his first powerlifting competition. And the goal was to squat 420 kilograms for the opener, then go up uh, the next two attempts by 20 kilograms each attempt, or 24, 44, 60. He went for the 420 kilogram lift and uh, he, he uh, got red lighted on depth. They were, they were very strict with him on depth. Uh, the next attempt, so as a coach, I came in and I didn't want Hafthor Bjornsson, the strongest man in the world, to bomb in a powerlifting show. Mm-hmm. So my instinct was to retake that attempt. Uh, let's just do 420 again. Like, let's not disrespect this number. And he looked at me and said, no, we go up. We stick to the plan. It's 440. And I couldn't flinch for a single second with disbelief because that's how he would have taken it. He would have looked at me and said, my coach doesn't believe in me. So I jumped and I said, we're doing 440. So it's like sometimes we go against logic and, and logically that's not necessarily the smartest thing to do. I've been with some of the highest. I've been with Eric Lillybridge when he, he did the same thing. He missed his opening attempt and then bombed one of the major competitions, one of the most, the, the biggest uh, heavyweight competitions in the world because he, he skipped his first attempt. Uh, sorry, he, he didn't want to retake the same number that he missed on his first attempt. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to make that mistake with Hafthor. These are experiences that I'm sure that you guys can relate to as well. It's not unintelligent to make sure that you get that first number in. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's easy to bomb if you if you miss the first number and, and you go up. It's, it's a big risk. But anyway, I had to have confidence in Hafthor and I had to, even though I was scared shitless of making the wrong call, um, I had to jump and show him how much I believed in him. Uh, next next set, he did the 440 kilograms and he, he smoked it. Um, so that was very, very lucky. I was very nervous about that. But, yeah, it's a double-edged sword. <clears throat> but having confidence in your athlete as a coach um, <clears throat> sometimes um, is weighs a little bit more than, than if you think it's possible or not. Um, I had another question about the – you know, you talked a lot about him putting his trust in in you with choosing attempts and stuff like that. But in his actual yeah. uh, training, how much autonomy do you give him and other athletes that you work with? Like, is it very much exactly what you write on paper is what he what he does, or do you take an approach sort of similar to what like what Steffi does, where she puts her own tweaks and and you know kind of like works around it based on how she's feeling that day and and what's going on in her life? Absolutely. So, so he knows that if he feels like shit, he's not going to do what was written on paper. Mm-hmm. He's a very intelligent athlete and we've worked together for long enough for him to know that there's no expectation. If his body's not there, the weights that he's lifting, um, you, need to, you need to be ready to lift those weights. And if you're not and you attempt it, um, a lot of risks are involved. He can injure himself really badly, which is going to put him out for, for way longer. I've been with him where, um, you know, we've been uh, – the competition was deadlift for max reps. And a lot of the times we figure out what is the rep scheme that we think we're going to achieve in competition. And that's kind of how we base the entire program. So a lot of the times we look at, you know, some, like for example, I'll put a number out there. One of the preps I had in mind that he was going to be able to do eight reps in competition of this given weight. So, so periodizing, uh, that would be our heavy session. We do a, a top heavy set of eight uh, on each of every second week. And on this uh, one week that I was with him, we were meant to go for a top set of eight. He performed three reps in front of me and realized he wasn't going to hit eight. 
He didn't look anywhere like I, I think maybe he could have even achieved the eight, but he stops so early when he knows it's just not there today. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just going to stop and come back another day. Mm-hmm. So, so absolutely, there needs to be um, an, an element of leeway where if if the numbers are written down on paper, it's absolutely not set in stone. Um, but at the same time, you know, I don't want to sit there and toot my own horn and say it's my coaching ability. I'd, I'd probably prefer to say that it's his athletic ability, but the plans that we've written out for him in, since 2016 are generally four weekly plans uh, where we, we generally, um, we always factor in deloads, but very rarely does he actually miss these numbers. And uh, that's very unique for a lot of the athletes. And it's not just because he's so strong, he never misses them. It's because we've uh, worked together so well that we know when, um, how frequently the deloads work with him. And, and like I said, a lot of the comp preps, he deloads every second week. He'll do a heavy week and a light week. And, and quite often when we work this way, uh, when everything else is on point, like his nutrition, his recovery, the other stresses in his life, uh, which he, he has to manage, um, when all of that is on point, he often hits all of the numbers. But, but yeah, like I, I try and speak to him as uh, probably every day during uh, the important times of these comp preps. And if there's anything wrong, we change it. But, I, you know, the funny thing is with Hafthor, um, <laughs> very rarely do things not go to plan. How about the opposite way? So auto-regulating for the purpose of pushing harder in a session? <sighs> Yes, it does happen. So I believe that sometimes when it's there, you need to capitalize. Yeah. Um, because it's not always there. Um, but a lot of the times, okay, so for example, the day that he, he did that 455 kilogram deadlift for two reps, the piece of paper said one rep. So, so absolutely, it's like, you know, and he messages me the next day and he says, um, are you angry with me, coach? <laughs> He's saying that as a joke because he knows damn straight I'm fucking happy, you know. Um, and there's no way that I'm angry with that. You know, there was definitely, it's, it's a huge risk. And if I was there and he said to me, I want two reps, uh, just like that whole confidence thing. If I thought, fuck, this is a big risk. Am I making the wrong call? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm scared shitless right now because if he if he goes with this and I gave him the advice to do it and go off plan, I'm the bad guy. Uh, but if I was there and he said to me, I'm feeling strong, coach, uh, can I go for two? My answer would be yes. Like if I saw that much confidence from the lifter, mm-hmm. um, my answer would be yes as well. So so when he feels good, I do believe, not just with half Thor, but, but absolutely, sometimes when, you, when you're feeling better than what the plan actually says, uh, depending on the circumstances, of course, um, yeah, you've got to capitalize when you're feeling good, just like you need to back off when you're not feeling good. Absolutely. I cannot stress for anyone who's listening how important that is. And I've identified that that is one of the differences between obviously an intermediate and an, and an experienced level lifter. Uh, is your ability to take risks and, like you said, capitalize when the lift is there? Because honestly, the more training years that you accumulate, the f- the far fewer and and far sp- more spread are those opportunities and those good days gonna come by. And absolutely, I always- absolutely. And and the problem is sometimes when you like, I'm sure that the majority of the audience, you know, you're, you're very lucky to be at the top level. And I still deal with uh, most of my clients are uh, elite level athletes. But there's a lot of people that look up to the high-level athletes and, and, you know, they want to copy what they do. And, and unfortunately, there's going to be people listening to this that are beginners and intermediate that say, oh, yeah, you know, I'm going to go off program now because I heard the discussion between Bass and Steffi 
And, you know, you've got to capitalize when it's there. So this is something that, that definitely comes with experience. Obviously, you've got the experience to know your body. Um, and, and, and as you just said, yeah, but the difference between intermediate and advanced is the experience to know when it actually is there yeah. and when it's worth taking that extra risk. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for my beginner athletes, I wouldn't be like that. Yeah. For my beginner athletes that I wasn't face-to-face with, I would say uh, just stick to the plan is probably the smartest idea. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I often get people that come to me and, uh, you know, I coach them online and they'll send me um, the results of what they did and if they they exceeded what was written down, I never get pissed off with these guys because I've got an ego myself and I know, um, it's like, you know what, I know I shouldn't have gone for a PB today but I just went for it. But guess what? That made me feel good. That gave me confidence to progress even further the next week. Uh, Let's rewrite the the entire program now because we went off plan and we, we went off plan for a good reason. Yeah, it man, it pisses me off when when we're training at hybrid and say everyone's doing a max deadlift, you know, and then there's hang on, that's cutting out. Oops, sorry. How's that? Hang on, hang on. Okay, I got you, I got you. So what were you saying? It pisses you off when you're in hybrid and everyone. It's say that we're doing we're all maxing out deadlift or whatever. We're doing something silly, and there's there's one person that's also deadlifting but but doesn't have a one rep max in their program. But you see them go for like a three rep or a two rep max or whatever it is, and it just moves so smoothly. And you can just tell that they can PR that day. And you go, hey, why don't you go for a PR with all of us? Like there's 10 people in the gym. The atmosphere is there. You look great. Like you're, I've never seen you move 200 kilos that easy. Go for it. And then they're like, no. Nah. Sebastian, this is what we call that's This is what they hear in the U.S. They call themselves the pocket boys. I hate right. it. These are, these are the USAPL kids. They always – they. Stay in the pocket. Yeah. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Ultra conservative approach, huh? Yeah. Too conservative. Too conservative, too much volume, too little intensity. I, you know who you guys are. You know who you are. You hey, know if, you, if, you, if you're listening, <laughs> you know, hey, lift you heavier. Know, to, to an extent, it's, it could be a smart, uh, you know, the smarter approach to do that. But at the highest level, people take risks. You know, the strongest yeah. people get there. You can't get to that top level without taking the risks. And it's always a fine line with when we say things like this, how many people are going to take it the wrong way and say, hell yeah, you know, like listening to that. I don't want to be a pocket boy. <laughs> I want to go and max out, you know, because these guys said it's okay. But, but you know, it comes with experience. And I think yeah. that the more advanced the athlete is, uh, you know, if, if they know their body and they've got the confidence on the day to know that they can do something like that, then go for it. Mm-hmm. But but even still, beginners attempting one rep maxes, I think that it takes um, a certain amount of training time. Working with a very, um, very good physiotherapist in Australia, Andrew Locke, he's got a rule with his athletes that they're not to – uh, max out in the first year of their their training. Um, I was a little bit less conservative than that, um, but you know he talks about Eddie Cohen as well. He references Eddie Cohen saying these guys don't have the technique yet, and a lot of things can go wrong. But then he takes it a little bit further and says, you know, the the connective tissue, the muscle tissue, the bones, everything's not strong enough. Um, you need to build some type of tolerance before you can put your body through those types of loads. So for a beginner that wants to go for a max, maybe it's not the best idea. But the more advanced you are, those are the, the connective tissues and the bones. That like, like the advanced lifters have stronger bones, have stronger tendons and, and ligaments than, than the beginner because they've lifted uh, for that level. And if, if things go very slightly wrong, it's probably going to be okay. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I, I agree to that to a certain level. I think it's important to make the distinction between the value of volume and accumulation and then the importance yeah. of specificity and um, neurological excitement to say that way, to say it some way, you know, strength uh, is a specific adaptation and it requires you to do a very specific or it requires from you to train in a very specific manner. And so I don't know, I think if you're trying to lift heavier and heavier, you cannot get around not putting more weight on the bar. So yeah, I agree. Technique comes first. Scale acquisition is the most important thing. Accumulating volume, ensuring that you're you, that you're progressing load in 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 a in a way that is allowing your your body to recover and adapt and continue getting stronger. But at the same time, I do think that that um, the adaptations required to continuously get stronger require you to, to add some weight to the bar and maybe not in the form of a one rep max, but a three rep max, a five rep max, a six rep max, just like kind of like that, getting used to feeling a heavy bar and grinding and more importantly, developing the skills that are necessary to be under a heavy bar. We talk about this a lot, especially in Olympic weightlifting, where anyone can lift pretty at 50%, right? It's that That's not hard. When you learn how to move a barbell, an empty barbell or a barbell with, with one plate on each side, it's easy. But you start seeing uh, how technique deteriorates after you continue adding weight. But that doesn't mean that you're not, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're not strong for those loads. It just means that you haven't developed the skills under heavy load. It can help you identify what you need to better. Exactly. So Mm -hmm. in my opinion, um, and it's okay to have different views and different opinions, uh, even for a beginner, I think it's invaluable to experience the heavy weight on your back or on a deadlift to figure out where does your technique break down? What are your weak areas? What are your strong areas? And, and learning for yourself, learning how to move your body and how to exert force in the right force in the right places to move that load ultimately. For sure. I I absolutely agree. And I absolutely agree. There's a lot of differing opinions on this. Um, A lot of the times, some of the experts out there that say you should never break technique, you should never grind out, you should never go to fail, especially as a beginner. A lot of these experts have actually made those mistakes in their lives. And it's something that I always say, the mistakes I've made, I've had so much ego uh, in my past, but I've done it way too many times. I've broken down technique. And, I'll t- and I've had a lot of injuries, some that I'm still paying for to today. And it's a lot uh, easier advice to give someone to, to not max out and to not grind, grind out so that they don't have those injuries. But a lot of those experts are probably where they are today because they, they, they had their ego in their younger years and they broke technique and they've learned what it feels like. And um, there's percentages and rep sets, tempo, all these things. But a large part of progression in the gym is actually grit and, and knowing how to just get under the bar sometimes. Like something I say about um, having people in my room cheering me on when I'm going for a lift, if someone's cheering me on that's never had grit, that's never felt what it feels like to grind out a weight and they're screaming at me, uh, it's a big deterrent for me because it's like you don't know what I'm going through. Like this is going to hurt me right now, motherfucker. (laughs) And you're telling me, me, come on, you don't know what that feels like, go away. (laughs) And so I think that's – that's a big part of, you know, who your crew is and who's standing around is, is understanding uh, what that feels like. And, and that's right. That does absolutely uh, work towards how strong you can be. It's not just how strong your bones and your muscles and your joints are. How strong are you mentally? Mm-hmm. You've got to train your brain, uh, and that's a big part of it, feeling what the grind feels like. Um, 
again, I don't want to send the, the wrong message to a lot of the beginners and the intermediates out there. Um, grinding out and breaking down technique as a beginner, it comes with a lot of risks of injuries. And if you're working with a coach that has experience, that's my, my number one recommendation is to employ a coach that has experience, not just uh, someone that's just any coach at the gym, someone that you know has worked with athletes before and is achieving amazing results. These are people that are probably going to be able to guide you in the, the best direction. So, so beginners and intermediates that are grinding out by themselves, there is a big risk. Do it with supervision, but at some time, um, yeah, grit as a, as a big part of my, my, my uh, philosophy with your progression in the gym. I love that. Awesome. I want to switch gears because we've been on here for a while and we haven't really got to the juicy stuff yet. La hora del té. La hora del té. La hora del té. La hora del té. Yeah. The cheese, bro. All right. So, uh, obviously, there's been, a, there's been a lot of uh, back and forth between Thor and Eddie Hall. Uh, and now yeah. they're set to fight in a professional boxing match, which sounds insane and is insane. Um, and I wanted to get your opinion on a few things. Um, and also, I have so many questions. But the first question is, uh, what is going to happen with body weight in this fight? Because they're two very different people. They obviously don't fit into any of the weight classes. I think the heaviest weight class in in professional boxing is like 260 pounds, like 120 kilos or something like that. And they're far above that. So are they just going unlimited weight or what's the deal with that? There's no way that any of these guys are getting under 120 kilograms or 265 pounds. <laughs> That's just not happening. These guys are going to be training as hard as they can to win the fight. So I believe at this stage, and I don't know 100%, but I believe at this stage there is no weight restriction. But I can guarantee you that Hathor is not going to come in at the body weight that he is now, which is uh, 450 pounds. It's large. So 205 <laughs> kilograms. Uh, he, he's, that's not going to be beneficial for him to be that big. So strength is important and size helps to an extent, but at that size, it's going to be detrimental to his performance majorly. Mm -hmm. uh, my prediction, if it was up to me, I would say a really able half Thor would be at about 160 kilograms. Uh, I'm not sure what that is in pounds. 352, um, 100 pounds less. Okay, so yeah, 100 pounds less. So there you go, 340 pounds I think, you know, that's a six foot nine guy with a huge amount of muscle mass. He's not going to piss that muscle mass away. He's still training with resistance and he's still going to be like, I will be, I've already written a program out for him for the next four weeks and we're going to be working very closely on his strength training. Um, and, and my highest priority is that it's not going to interfere with his main work and his main work is going to be boxing training, which is very endurance based. So the nature of, the way that he's going to train is definitely going to strip weight off him. Mm -hmm. He's also uh, got a, a, a world-class nutritionist on his team, and that's Stan Efferding. And Stan Efferding knows a thing or two about training for different sports. And so he's going to be recommending food that's going to allow him to get in the best condition for his boxing fight. Mm -hmm. So a prediction from me is around the 160-kilogram uh, weight range. I don't think that um, – uh, if, if he's 160 kilograms, he's going to be ripped. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that if Eddie stays at that weight, he's going to be as ripped. I think he's going to have a lot more fat mass if he stays at that weight. And I think that if Eddie wants to be effective against Hathor, he needs to be 
about 20 pounds lighter than Hathor uh, to be able to move properly. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that uh, Eddie's going to be lighter than Thor. I don't think there is a weight restriction. And I think that an ideal weight for Hathor is 160 kilograms, 340 pounds. Cool. What um, On paper, it seems like Thor has really all of the advantages in this fight. Taller, heavier, longer reach. Um, More athletic. Well, I mean, uh, I agree. I don't, I don't know one way or the other on that one, but uh, do you think Eddie has any advantages in this fight? And if so, what, what do you think those are? Yeah, so Eddie's advantage is that um, he's been training for boxing for a lot longer right now. He's retired from strongman years ago. He retired in 2017 after he won his World Strongest Man title. And since then, he's lost a lot of weight. And he's, he has taken up boxing. I know that he hasn't trained boxing for a fight, so he hasn't done it every day, which is what he's probably going to be doing now. But he does have more experience in boxing than Hathor, and I'd say that's his biggest advantage. Um, and I'd probably say it's his only advantage. What I mean by that is I don't mean that he doesn't have any other great attributes that would work very well in a boxing ring. I just think that those great attributes that he has, Thor has as well. So he can't use sure. his strength on Thor. That's not going to work with him because – uh, Thor's stronger and you know there's going to be a debate oh no back in his day he was more strong he was stronger with these lifts and whatever Thor's peaked his strength today Eddie Hall peaked his strength three years ago and he hasn't been working on his strength at this level for a long time mm-hmm. Thor is stronger okay that's that's besides the debate of peak versus peak Thor's at his peak now mm-hmm. Eddie is not so, so I know that from sparring, whatever Eddie's been doing with his sparring, and I know this because I've worked with super heavyweights that box. I've got one on my team, uh, Godly Strong, his Instagram name is, Alex Simon. And he has stepped in the ring and fought people at 165 kilograms. Uh, that's when he weighed 165 kilograms or 350 pounds. And his, his, uh, his opponents were 20 kilograms lighter and 30 and 40 kilograms lighter. And they had nothing on him. So his strength absolutely was beneficial. So he was able to just walk through his opponents. Up until recently when he he fought someone the exact same body weight as him and he actually lost his first fight because he wasn't able to walk through the guy. He wasn't able to use his strength against the guy. And this is going to be something that's going to be a big eye-opener for Eddie where he has sparred people in his past. I know he has, but he hasn't sparred a strong person. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, he doesn't know what it's going to be like to come against someone who's bigger and stronger than him. Mm-hmm. Hathor's not sparred anyone. He doesn't know what to expect. He's sparred his friend who's actually a 150-kilo guy, so he's a very similar size to to Eddie. So if anything, Thor has a better expectation of what it's going to be like to, to step in a ring with someone that does have a great level of strength, but Eddie doesn't. So that's something that um, Eddie's going to have to um, – I don't know how you can train for that without training big, strong guys. There's going to be no one that's going to be able to replicate Thor's strength for Eddie. I don't know if Eddie's got access to some of the great uh, British boxers. Um, if he does, that's going to be really good for him. So we've got someone like Tyson Fury. I believe he's the same uh, body weight, uh, not body weight, the same height as Hathor. Um, I don't know if he can get him as a training partner, but it's a pretty huge event and it wouldn't surprise me if he had access to him. But at the same time, um, yeah, Back to the athleticism, people look at Hafthor and they say he's big and strong and stiff and all of these things. He came from a high level of basketball before he started in strongman. 
And a lot of his fans absolutely know that, and they say that's one of his advantages in strongman is his athleticism. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if you know much about swimmers and, and their carryover to coordination and athleticism. Uh, something that I found that was quite funny that one of my mentors used to say, swimmers can't walk and chew gum at the same time. <laughs> um, you know, it's a reflection on the coordination of, of a lot of swimmers, and this is coming from an experienced level of coaching. This is something that Charles Poliquin used to say. Um, which I think is quite funny, but, you know, people say, but he was a swimmer, so therefore he was an athlete. It's like, well, um, you know, yeah, great. He was an amazing swimmer, so that's going to probably help him for his endurance. Um, but, you know, there's no carryover to, from water sports to, to land sports. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that's going to help him that much with his boxing. So I think that the biggest determining factor is Thor's bigger, Thor's got a big, bigger reach, and that's going to be a handful for Eddie. Where um where did this idea come from of this fight? So there's been beef with uh, Eddie and Thor since 2017. Uh, 2017, Eddie Hall won the world's strongest man, and it was a very controversial win. Um, the the facts behind this is that every athlete um, was a little bit disappointed that all of the events come this man were so suited for Eddie. They were all static lifts. It was the first time ever in World's Strongest Man that they had a heavy squat and a heavy deadlift in the same competition. Um, They usually have an overhead pressing event. They chose one that Eddie's the best in the world at, which is a Viking press, which is um, nothing dynamic about it. Um, So it's like you could have chosen between uh, all of the different press variations, a log press, an axle press, a dumbbell press. But this is one where you don't have to clean the weight. You can just stand there and press away, which is what Eddie is great at. So the first, you know, coming into the world's strongest man, um, we knew that the events were very well suited to Eddie. Uh, The person who decides on the event is uh, his sponsor. So that's Colin Bryce. That's the owner of Giants Live. Uh, Giants Live sponsored one athlete, and that was Eddie. That's the exclusive athlete they sponsored. And, you know, all of a sudden the events were so well suited for Eddie Um, all of the athletes were were hugely disappointed that they knew that they had set it up for Eddie. But we came into the event saying, well, it's the world's strongest man and these are strength events and if you want to be the world's strongest man, you just need to beat him and we believe that you can. So, um, you know, regardless that all of the events were very suitable for Eddie, we still came into the competition knowing that Thor could still beat him. Um, As we got to the world's strongest man, we started talking to the other athletes and realised how how disappointed that they were as well. So it wasn't just our theory that it was uh, geared around Eddie winning the event. Um, Then during the competition, there were certain things that were changed a few days before the event. Uh, This is well-known knowledge. Um, So, for example, one of the events was a tyre flip and a chain drag. Um, they took the chain out of it. And Thor's the best at dragging the chain in the world. They took the chain out of it. Um, they also reduced the amount of times that the tyres could be flipped. So usually they flip the tyre six times and on the spot he's changed it to four times. And, and I saw, like this is me observing, not no bias towards Hafthor. I saw the athletes, in particular Brian Shaw was, was outraged with all of these last-minute decisions because they were so geared towards having Eddie win this show. Um, at the end of that event, uh, Thor was hugely disappointed and he put up a post. Um, it was the heat of the moment thing. He put up a post with a selfie um, basically saying that, um, 
what did he say? I forget what it was word for word, but basically discrediting Eddie for his achievement, saying that he cheated. Not in those words, but it was along those lines. You know, when when the anger had worn off, which was a couple of minutes later, Thor took it down straight away. But that was too late. It had gone viral at that time, and that's when the beef was created. So basically, Eddie won the world's strongest man. And to put it simply, Thor called him out for for um, for cheating to do it, and they've never been right since. Now, since 2017, uh, Eddie's been relentless with the negativity towards Hafthor publicly on social media and, uh, you know, towards Hafthor's attempts to train for the 501 kilograms, Eddie's been the loudest voice in discrediting what he's going to do and he's still to this day saying it doesn't count, it's the best gym lift in the world, you know, lots of negativity towards his event and um, so Thor was offered by, like, before Thor was offered, uh, World's Ultimate Strongman, I believe is the promoter, had seen that there was beef between these athletes and that it was hugely marketable. Mm. To be completely honest with you, I would love to see it. The World's Strongest Man 2017 versus the World's Strongest Man 2018, they hate each other. Now's your opportunity to go beat each other up. For me, I'll pay to see that. Um, but, yeah, obviously these uh, this federation saw that it was a marketable um, event and so they offered them a large sum of money each and they both agreed um, you know the thing with strongman unfortunately it's not just strongman it's all strength sports there's, there's very little money in strength sports um, and then when you get the opportunity to be paid more than 10 times the amount um, I think the decision is pretty obvious yeah did, uh, did Thor ever apologize for uh, that message no no. Um, That's gangster. In, 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 fact, in fact, it's come out a little bit more now. So Thor um, has this, had decided to move on. So I've got on video, so we were training, uh, we were warming up for World's Strongest Man 2018 and Eddie was walking around uh, wishing all of the other competitors good luck. And Thor turned to Eddie and shook his hand and said, hey, brother, are we all good? And Eddie nodded his head and said, yeah, we're all good. It's like, okay, great. Uh, the next thing you know, Thor wins the world's strongest man and then Eddie was off uh, talking negatively about him on social media as he does. And it's like, okay, so the beef still continues. And, you know, from Eddie's words, uh, he's waiting for an apology from Half Thor. Uh, that didn't happen and that's why Eddie's continued with the neg negativity towards Half Thor. Um, it's, it's brought on. So when this happened, it's like ha um, Eddie was was you know, putting a lot of neg negativity towards Thor. So Thor retaliated, kind of bringing up the past and saying, okay, well, you asked for it. Uh, this is why we have beef. It's because you cheated in, in World's Strongest Man 2017. So he's voiced his opinion again uh, recently um, and it's just it's just egged it on a whole lot more to the point where, where I believe that Eddie is getting a lot of negative attention. Um, what he's trying to do is... is um, belittle Hafthor, but a lot of the world doesn't actually appreciate that. They see that as as doing a bad thing for the sport. Um, his bad sportsmanship has definitely lost him a lot of respect from a lot of uh, not just athletes but a lot of fans as well, and it's doing him no favours to behave in this way. But there is no doubt about it. There is absolutely beef between the two athletes. Um, it's not just put on because they want to promote a show. Um, yeah, they don't like each other and they want to beat each other up and there's not going to be any fake uh, knockouts or anything like that. They're going to try and knock each other's heads off. Um, and and I'm, I'm excited to see it, to be honest with you. 
Yeah, we'll be gonna, there. It's going to be right. a hell of a show. Where is it going to be? Vegas? Vegas. Yeah, I'm going. Vegas, Vegas 2021, um, October, I believe. Yeah, I'll be there. That's awesome. For sure. So is that the end of Thor in, in uh, Strongman? That's the million-dollar um, question. That's what I've been wondering. Drum roll. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of people are asking that. And, and actually, I know that Thor hasn't made up his mind. Um, and I don't force him to, to do anything for me. It's not my life. It's his life. But something that I do know, this is coming from my own experience, not my own experience with Hathor, my own experience with myself and other athletes. He's 31 years old. When he finishes that, he's going to be 33 years old. Um, that, that guy is still going to be able to move forward. And I'm certain that he doesn't want to retire at 33 years old. He's going to want to do something with his life. Um, I don't know what will happen next. Maybe there'll be some other exhibition events with boxing or fighting, just like um, I don't know how many people have heard of Marius Pujanovsky. That guy's five times world's strongest man, and he went on to pursue a career in MMA. Um, and I don't know how much money he was getting paid from, from MMA, but I dare say it's more than what he was getting paid as a strongman. So who knows what's going to come after this? I would say uh, not from Hafthor telling me what's going to happen, but from my own opinion, Hafthor's going to follow the money. If he gets offers from, um, you know, I don't know, WWE wrestling, perhaps, that seems like a popular option, uh, acting. So whatever Hollywood uh, uh, movies, if they offer him uh, a larger amount of money to work instead of doing a strongman show. So just to put a, a bit of perspective on this, currently the highest paid strongman show is World's Ultimate Strongman. And I, I could be wrong, but the last time I knew it was an $80,000 uh, prize for first place. Um, you know, for these guys, these guys are the best in the world. They're professional athletes. They are number one in the world getting paid $80,000. That's a, that's a disgrace. Yeah. Um, Steffi, I saw you put up um, uh, before the US Open the comparison between what they're going to pay the, the best female powerlifter in the world compared to what Serena Williams gets paid. Yeah. What, what was the difference? I can't remember off the top of my head. Astronomical. astronomical. A lot of yeah. zeros. Yeah. It's a joke. It's a joke. And so for the strongman fans to turn around and discredit any of the decisions that these strongmen are making for money, it's like put yourself in their shoes. What would you do? Would you would you uh, increase your income by more than 10 times or would you try and make the fans happy? And something else that a lot of people don't consider is being 205 kilograms or 450 pounds isn't actually healthy. No. Um, and, and how long can he maintain that much body size and stay alive? That's the reason why Eddie Hall retired. And I don't think it was an unintelligent decision for Eddie Hall. Eddie Hall was huge. I believe when he won World's Strongest Man, he was around 190, 195 kilograms. So what's that, 420 pounds around there? Yes. For a six-foot-two guy, that's a that's big. That's a lot of stress on his heart. And the risk that these guys put themselves through, it's not just these guys. I believe that someone's going to die on the world's strongman stage uh, to impress the audience because the the levels that these guys are pushing every year, the weights just get heavier, the expectation increases, and what these guys have to do to their bodies to meet these expectations is so unhealthy it's not even funny. So if you ask me from a health perspective, I think Hathor should retire and he's actually making a, a right decision by uh, you know, changing sports. It's going to force him to drop a significant amount of weight, which is going to do wonders for his heart health and hopefully allow him to, to live a fair few extra years. Mm -hmm. On that note, on the note of health, I'm curious your comparison and 
And, you know, powerlifting isn't much better. You know, people push their bodies to crazy limits. But how do you think it would compare in the highest level of powerlifting and the highest level of strongman, like health-wise? I don't think it's it's um, as relative to the amount of weight being lifted as what as compared to what you need to do to your body to be at the highest level. So, you know, the saying, mass moves mass. So, you know... The current world strong world powerlifting champion is Dan Bell. Um, I don't know what his body weight is, but if I were ninety, I think about one hundred ninety kilos. Like that's huge. So if I want to go and beat that guy's total, the first thing I think is I need to be heavier than him. Right. You know, and and that's how it's going to be. To keep pushing those records, uh, that's a big part of of uh, giving you the potential to be able to move that weight is increasing your own body weight. So it's not just muscle mass. Obviously, there's a huge amount of fat mass to get to that weight. And, you know, I think that they are equally um, putting as much risk on their bodies as, as strongmen. So powerlifters, strongmen, you know, 190 kilos for Dan, for the best uh, powerlifter in the world, the best strongman in the world is 205 kilograms. Like these guys, it's, it's equally as unhealthy. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, Basil, what's next for you and base and, and the girls and everybody over there once all this COVID stuff ends? Yeah, so so something that I do like about COVID is it's forced us to adapt. Um, a lot of people have been impacted negatively financially from COVID. People these days, especially in the fitness industry, they need to be face-to-face with their client to be paid. And uh, that's a big hit for a lot of people. Lucky for me and same with you guys, I've got a lot of my uh, businesses online. So so actually I don't do face-to-face coaching anymore. The only people that I face-to-face coach is my sponsored athletes. I don't get paid for that. Um, so whoever you see me training face-to-face, I ain't getting paid. That's out of the love. But the way that it works for my business is people see the results that I'm getting from training these high-level athletes and it's great incentive for them to want to buy my products. So now um, one thing that has been affected is my education. So actually, Steffi and I, we had uh, planned uh, to do seminars over in Europe and that was um, sold, out, sold out seminars um, and there was two of them and we had to give full refunds for that and uh, that's, you know, a, a big part of my income is my ability to hold these seminars face-to-face. So the next thing that's happening in the next eight to ten weeks um, we're going to be, uh, I've teamed up with clean health to produce international online certification for my education. I've, I've, we're going to be releasing level one, level two of strength system education. And, uh, that's, you don't, I don't have to be face to face. I'm going to be pre-recording all of the education. Um, and it's actually going to be a lot better content than what I have produced. A lot of the things that I produce face-to-face is a lot about being personable and and speaking to people and and a lot of that. This is actually going to be a higher level of education and that's going to be out in eight to ten weeks and that's going to mean that from a business standpoint, it's going to be COVID-proof. So that's something that I'm really excited about and I'd say that's going to make huge changes uh, for, for my business. The next thing is working with the girls as well. So you guys know I work very closely with Base Body Babes. That's my wife and her sister. Um, we've got – I'm sitting here in my gym. So if you guys can see it, you guys need to come here. Um, when, when international travel restrictions are taken off, you guys need to come and train here. But upstairs is a female-only facility. That's going to be for the Base Body Babes. And that's under construction currently. 
And I take a lot of pride in, in their success as well. And we're building that gym. So when, when COVID finishes, that's going to open up. So that's going to be more of a public space, but that's for the girls. So I'm not actually allowed in there, but I'm, I'm definitely behind the scenes in working on, on the production of that. So actually very exciting things are happening in the future. That's awesome. Uh, being someone who sat in and, and seen you speak, you're, uh, you're a really great person to listen to. You have a lot of, uh, a lot of great insight from working with a lot of high level athletes. And uh, Thank I hope you, you, don't, I hope you don't uh, dial the entertainment factor back too much because that was one of my favorite things about it. Yeah, it was you a were, comedy of fitness. It was like a, a strength and conditioning <laughs> stand-up comedy yeah, act. Yeah, it was amazing. I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. So for anybody listening... Oh, that's, uh, that's good feedback. I'll try and incorporate that online. I'll see how that goes. But thank you. That means a lot to me. Thank you, guys. Yeah, no, it was great. Um, where, where can people find you? Um, number one place is my Instagram channel. It's Australian Strength Coach through YouTube. It's the same thing, Australian Strength Coach. They're my main channels. Um, yeah, you'll find me there. Awesome. It's been a blast having you on the podcast. We'll have to have you Once again, thank you guys for having me. It's been great to chat to you guys again. Hope to see you guys soon. Cheers, brother. Thanks, have a good one. See you guys. Bye, best.